Honda may own the place, but for the third year in a row, Yamaha have launched a Suzuka takeover. Welcome to Bike Life. Let's go! Yes, it's a warm welcome to episode 24 of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101. As we look back on none of the three series we usually cover on this show. We are going to look back instead on the final round of the Endurance World Championship that took place last weekend. One of the highlights on the motorcycle racing calendar, the Suzuka 8-hour as Yamaha took over Suzuka for a third year in succession as the number 21 factory Yamaha R1 took the victory. Um, the courtesy of Alex Lowe's, Michael Vandermark and Katsuki Nakasuga. Uh, and we'll tell you about how each of those three riders made their own little pieces of history in their own individual ways in that race. We'll also talk about Honda and how their own events at their own circuit went completely pear-shaped from the off. Uh, and how Suzuki blew their chances within the first two laps of an eight-hour race. We'll also talk about Leon Haslam, who has earned a new reputation as the Iron Man thanks to his exploits on the Team Green Kawasaki. And we'll also look ahead to this weekend as BSB hits Thruxton and MotoGP returns, thank God, at Bruno. Yes. Thank God it's back. Uh, also returning this week after his uh, cameo role last week is Andre Harrison. Welcome back, Dre. You put Speedway on over me, Saturday. Well, this is it. This is this is unusual territory for Bike Live. Last week we opened with Speedway, and this year we're opening with an endurance race. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, it's like I say, it's two takeovers in two weeks. Bex took over it last week. You see what happens when I'm not like. You see what happens when I'm not around properly. Like this is the start of anarchy that we get on these shows. It's like I'm not, like BSB gets demoted for bloody speedway because Bex fangles over 125 different riders. This is not fair. I'm gonna sue. Just be, just be glad she isn't on this show. Uh, given given who uh, was a third of the winning team uh, in the Suzuka uh, last week. Um, yeah, she's probably still fangirling uh, four days on from the Suzuka eight hour. Um, but yeah, in, in our defence, BSB at Brands was a complete nothing burger of a weekend. It so, was. So we so we had to kind of like demote it a little bit. We had to try and find some sort of story. So we went we went to Cardiff for that. Um, well, stories everywhere you look really on most about one on one at the moment because if you are listening to this show and uh, you listen to this probably on the Saturday when this has gone live, you may well have already heard um, a history-making episode of Motorsport 101, episode 97. If you haven't, make sure you do, because for the first time ever, we had an actual driver interview uh, on Motorsport 101. IndyCar's Carlos Munoz uh, joined us this week. Dre, um, a proud moment for Motorsport 101, episode 97. Carlos Munoz joining us on the show. Hey, yeah, that was that was that was special. Um, ninety-seven episodes over one hundred and seventy hours of podcasts we have done in the last god coming up coming up towards three years now of of, of this of, of this Pokemotoring show, and we've actually had an interview on it, which is pretty crazy. It's, it's I know I've had I've done a fair few of these with you on um, Bike Life before, but this was the first time I really had to lead the charge by myself on this one. Obviously, King jumped in a little bit but um the majority of it was done by yours truly and um yeah i'm still cleaning out my underwear for, as a result of that but um i'm very proud of it. it i think it went really well carlos um he's one of those guys that really did open up and and talk very deeply not only about super speedways is where he's you know, been an indy 500 runner up twice but also the new body kits, which I have to say looks stunning. Um, and just generally talking about the ladder systems in, in Europe and in the US, the big switch he had last year from Andretti to Foyt and 
all sorts, including minions. You'll have to listen to that one. You have to listen to, to where that context comes into play for you to listen to the interview itself. But yes, uh, Motorsport 101 episode 97 did include a 12-minute sit-down with Carlos Munoz. It's, it's in the middle of an absolutely stacked show talking about the Hungarian Grand Prix and the team orders that never was, sort of. Um, IndyCar... team you look at. Yeah, depends on which team you look at, really. Um, depends which side of the coin you, 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 you flip on there with the front four. Um, IndyCar's uh, um, Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio, where Joseph Newgarden absolutely curb-stomped everybody to lead the championship. And Formula E's season finale in Montreal and the Sebastian Buemi rant heard around the world. Um, so all of that and the Carlos Munoz interview on episode 97. And if you're a little bit lazy, and I don't blame you, it's a, it's a, it's a very it's a very strenuous sort of schedule listening to a two-hour show every week. We put the full thing on for Carlos Munoz. We put the full interview up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 as well. So, hey, you have no excuse. Go find it and listen. <laughs> yeah, you can. Uh, other places you can find us, you can follow us on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Um, to follow us on there on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. As Dre has mentioned, our YouTube channel, it's .com forward slash motorsport101 over there. And our website is motorsport101.net. Um, you can follow us on SoundCloud as well, soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport101, where, as, as Dre mentioned, you can listen to episode 97 right now. Um, for those of you who don't want to sit through a two-hour show, why wouldn't you? Because it's great listening. Uh, we have put a little flag in there for you to find the Carlos Munoz interview um, if you want to go straight forward to that, um, so you can find it nice and easily. Um, if you like us so much, having heard that interview, that you want to back us financially, and one of you has, um, then you can uh, back us there. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Jose Torres, I'm guessing, I believe that's the correct name I'm getting there, Dre, who has yes, now backed one. us on Patreon on the back of that interview. So thank you to you um, for yes. backing us uh, on Patreon. Um, as I say, if you all do that, um, and why wouldn't you want to, you can get yourself early access to Bike Live and Motorsport 101. Episode 98 is coming next week, where the shoe is on the other foot, where they catch the Bike Live syndrome and have to find things to talk about. <laughs> it's worth pointing out as well i was extremely generous you can back us at any level and you can get this week's episode of motorsport one because i thought it was such a special occasion of us having carlos munoz on the show you can back us at any level and get the carlos munoz interview so just worth bearing in mind that uh if you really really you know just want to chip in a dollar so i can buy a cup of tea at some point when i'm at work feel free in exchange you get a full episode of the podcast a day early aren't you lucky exactly so um so go and back us on there because we are closing in uh, ever closer on the century dre's getting ready to raise his bat in a couple of weeks time um as we hit episode 100 um but let's crack on with episode 24 of this show um of bike live here on Spot 101 and let's head back to suzuka and the eight hour um last weekend um, and as I mentioned, Dre, this is a circuit um, that is owned by Honda. It's an event synonymous with Honda and with all the Japanese manufacturers. Um, but for the third year in a row, Yamaha turned up and well and truly took over. It's amazing. Like it's, like, I have to say, like our friends at GP Extra made a very funny point regarding this after 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 Sunday morning's finish, and it was. It's amazing that Yamaha have now won three straight Suzuka eight-hour races, which is, you know might be the best or the biggest single individual racer on two wheels now, and yet they have not managed to win a single World Superbike race with, a, with essentially a very similar package and very similar riders. It's kind of funny how, that, how that's played out. They've won this endurance race three years riding, but have not actually won a World Superbike race yet on the same bike. Very peculiar, but 
as said, um, it's an incredible achievement. And no matter which way you slice it, I mean, Yamaha really was the first, uh, I'd say, of the modern-day all-star sort of teams where there's, a, there's like, okay, we're going to have a serious run at this, basically. And we're going to throw, like, two of our biggest names. And I think it was two years two years ago when they threw in there Bradley Smith and Paulus Spagaro, both of their of the tech-free satellite riders in there. And, of course, they would go on to win the damn thing because they're rather brilliant riders. But um, it, that's been the trend now ever since. And they've now brought together their world superbike team with uh, Katsuyuki Yakazuka, who is, you know, a legend in his own right in Yamaha factory. And, um, yeah, they had, they're, they've been the trendsetters for the modern-day Suzuki eight hours and you know basically this race becoming almost like an all-star race for for bike racing from all sorts of categories and divisions across the world and Yamaha's been at the pinnacle now and it's an incredible achievement to win I mean it's an endurance race I mean you never quite know what's gonna happen and like and it's an eight hour long race you open the door for so much eight hours to- for just one thing to go wrong and screw your race up Exactly, and for Yamaha to win it three years running, uh, or basically without a hitch for the most part, um, that's an incredible testament to the reliability of the R1, which is something that we, you know, obviously we don't talk about in these short 45-minute races we normally get or review on this show. So it looks like they've they've got a genuinely very well-constructed, very reliable bike, and in the context of the FIM and endurance racing, you can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, that's what that was. What was so impressive about this victory for me is that their their win pretty much came without a hitch from minute one to the final minute of the eighth hour of this race. They they just did not put a wheel wrong. Um, whereas all of their main uh, rivals had an issue or other, um, be it with their their riders or with their machine or with safety cars or, or whatever else um, over the course of the race. Um, and Yamaha just had no issues at all. Perhaps the one issue they had, um, having started with Nakasuga, is that um, based on the brilliant way that motorcycle endurance races like this is a great hour start, I absolutely adore the way this race starts. Nakasuga wasn't the quickest running to his bike at the start of the race. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has to be said. He kind of got into turn one. I think he was third or fourth, um, even yeah. though his bike was obviously parked. They were all, all the bikes, for those that don't follow this regularly, all the bikes at the end of the formation lap are parked up against the pit wall in grid order. The, bike, the riders then walk over to the opposite side of the pit straight, basically where the grandstands are, and then when the green lights come on, they have to then run to their bikes, and off they go. It's brilliant TV. It really is brilliant to watch. Um, but, yes. Na- but Nakasuga was beaten to his bike by Leon Haslam. Haslam, he's nicknamed the Pocket Rocket, for, and we now know why, because he was the quickest on foot as well. Haslam was first into turn one uh, on the Kawasaki, and Nakasuga initially had to fight his way through to take the lead. He did that pretty quickly, um, it has to be said, given how good <laughs> that bike is. Um, but that was pretty much the only weakness that Yamaha had in their armour. Uh, to be honest, as they went on to win the race comfortably. And I think it's an interesting point in that, that they haven't won a, a World Superbike race in that time. And I kind of think there's a, there must be a correlation, I think. And this might sound a bit harsh on their World Superbike team, but I think there's a, perhaps a correlation in how seriously the two different operations take their different disciplines, in that yeah. this this Suzuka 8 Tower operation is a full Yamaha factory operation from Yamaha in Japan. Um, you know, you just look at the, the sheer manpower that they have in their garage during this race everything's been thrown at this, where, of course, Yamaha's World Superbike team, it's effectively being a team that's been sort of leased out to the Crescent team um, being run, which previously ran Suzuki's in World Superbikes, and Yamaha Europe. Um, so perhaps it doesn't necessarily receive the full weight of backing from Yamaha in Japan. 
um, which perhaps might explain for the reason they trail Kawasaki and Ducati at the moment um, in the World Superbike Championship. Um, I think yeah. if, they, if, they, if they took World Superbikes as seriously as they take Suzuka 8 Hour or, for instance, take MotoGP, um, then perhaps they would be on a par. But given how successful they are in these other disciplines, then who can blame them for, for focusing their efforts uh, on this? Um, exactly. Let's talk about their three riders then that, they, that they've entered. Um, let's start with Alex Lowe's, um, who, as I say, all three riders earned their own little pieces of history from this Suzuka 8 Hour. And Alex Lowe's um, was, through the lap times, was the quickest of the three um, that Yamaha have sent to the Suzuka 8 Hour. Alex Lowe's smashed the lap record twice in an eight-hour race. Yeah. Given that this is an endurance race, you wouldn't expect lap records to tumble. But Alex Lowe's sent it for a burton twice. That's pretty. That's pretty nuts. It's like playing an endurance race on Gran Turismo Three, and all of a sudden you wake up and you put out one ridiculously fast lap. So I'm like, oh, look at that come from. Yeah, nice. Um, <laughs> and. That's certainly me, but uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it is incredible. And again, like, like it's always like the last few years. Like, this is another case of Alex Lowe's always looking for something to prove, mm. and this very well might be another example of that. Where, you know, his, like he's maybe not been able to 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 have the outlet to really show the world his level of talent. And again, this is as good a platform as it is for it. And Lowe's was unbelievably fast in, in, in that race. And again, the fastest of the three guys. I can't say I'm surprised because he's always shown this level of potential. And this is enough for him to, to, to show the world, listen, I'm here. I'm really, really good at riding bikes. I just wish I had a slightly better bike to prove it, I guess. Mm, yeah, and it's interesting because both riders actually did kind of make that point that they wanted just to show... <laughs> Um, how good a job they can do given the right circumstances, given the right equipment which uh, Michael van der Mark made that point in, in his piece of history that he made um, and this is astonishing Dre given that Michael van der Mark is still only 24 um, but he has now won the Suzuka 8 Hour three times and he's now also won it with two different manufacturers he's won it twice yes. with Honda and now with Yamaha yes He's taken a he's taken a cue from Leon Camier's book of Rider for Hire, um, Michael Vandermark now. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very interesting that he has won it three times with two different manufacturers. Again, just proof that Vandermark is just a brilliant talent and a guy that can take his hands to almost any bike out there. And as you say, still only 24 years old. He's younger than me. That's a fine for giving him 25 in two weeks' time. But um, yeah, it's, it's 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 a very blatant reminder of my lack of talent. <coughs> but um, yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant job from Vandermark again. Yeah, he seems to really love this place. And his third victory, and, and he's not even 25 yet, is pretty incredible. It is. And uh, the, the third part of this team, and perhaps the, I don't know, the, 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 the less song of the three riders, but I think we need to sing his praises, Dre. Because for, for a Suzuka 8 hour, which obviously is a race that is most popular and most um supported in japan um no japanese rider had ever won three consecutive suzuka eight hours until now yep like uh nagasuka has just earned infinite mategi wildcard appearances yes. for life um he never has to buy a beer in mategi again um had a boy um, um yeah brilliant stuff again like we, we don't often give these japanese wildcards enough credit because we, we might see him as like the one-off that shows up in mategi 
or, or Valencia on a custom livery. It's like, oh, they've broke out the old liveries again. Nice. Um, but no, these guys are very, very valuable members of the team and resources that go into making these bikes what they are. These are the guys that you don't see behind the scenes, you know, riding thousands of test laps and you know going through all the little details to make sure these bikes are at their maximum and you know this is this is their outlet to say thank you for their hard work and if i think back at the factory yamaha will be delighted to have katsuyuki in there because that is an asset right there that is one of the most important cogs you can have in building a, a fantastic racing team and that's exactly what he's done here yeah as you say he's probably got a job for life with with yamaha now with that factory and as yeah three consecutive victories through all of the superstar talent that yamaha have, have brought to this, this this operation in the last three years he has been the ever-present uh, in that team um and it's it, it sounds cliched but given that it's an endurance race given how how long the not just the whole the races but the event is you had the the day practice the night practice you had the day qualifying the night qualifying you had the the, the fast 10 i think it's called the super pole yeah. shootout that they have on the saturday to decide the top 10 on the grid um to get your way through all of that nakasuga is he's clearly very well trusted within yamaha not only for the, the fact that he rides for them in the japanese national superbike championship and he's a champion there he's as you say he is wild card in the most gp and has a podium in most gp let's not forget at valencia a few years ago when he substituted ah, second place. the second yeah. place to Danny Pedroza. You know, what a what a moment that was for him um, in his MotoGP um, career, which obviously is limited to wildcard outings. He's never had a regular ride in MotoGP, but Yamaha clearly trusted him. He is a trusted um, trusted lieutenant, if you like, for Yamaha um, through any kind of discipline, be it MotoGP or Superbike. And yeah, what a great reward for him, for him to have his own piece of history that no other Japanese rider can turn around and say that they have won the Suzuka Race Hour in three consecutive years uh, as Nakasuga can, which is a tremendous achievement and one that is that deserves uh, to be celebrated. Um, let's look at some of the hard luck stories from this race. Um, in fact, no, let's tell a, tell a, a story, an incredible story of a guy who, who overcame adversity because the hard luck stories that affected the Hondas came really to the rescue for Kawasaki, who were promoted to second place thanks to, uh, really, one rider more than ever. We, you know, we don't want to really sort of sing the praises of one rider more than another because it is a team effort, but when one rider rides for <laughs> 5 hours 20 minutes of an 8-hour race, he deserves to be singled out, Dre. And Leon yes. Haslam is the Iron Man of Suzuka. Elin's finest, Leon Haslam right there. Us West London guys are made of strong stuff. And um, yes, uh, that is a that is superhuman from Leon Haslam to be able to pull off five hours like that, single-handedly drag your team into the podium positions, pretty much. And just to be able to have that level of pace for that long, that level of concentration, and just not really not making a single mistake out there, really. And to be able to to basically race for more or less two thirds of the race, and like I can't imagine doing five hours out there like that. that I mean, give, given the average, I mean, a BSB race is about half an hour long. You know, a world's race maybe a bit longer, maybe forty minutes. Like he's basically just done seven of those in 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 one night. That is unbelievable. Um, I, 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 I would shudder to think what, how many laps that actually came up to in the end because I, can tell you I think the old came photo... up to 140 laps uh, of Suzuka. <laughs> I mean, MCN, I mean, you always see these kind of things and it's always great when they sort of put it into context of to what this equates to. Um, but here are some of the numbers. Leon Haslam, he completed 140 laps of Suzuka, which is a 504 miles. 
Um, he was on the bike for five hours, 20 minutes of the eight hours, which is two thirds um, of the actual race distance. That equates to 14 British Superbike races, which is pretty much around about where we're up to at the moment in this year's season. Um, seven World Superbike races, six MotoGP races, 13 laps of the Alaman TT, 29 laps of the Nürburgring, 388 Jesus. laps of Knock Hill. Um, <laughs> and, and it also equates for, as, to riding from London to Aberdeen. Oh my God. <laughs> and they did that in 35 degree heat and 77% humidity. Oh my God. That, that, that's insane. And, and, that is utterly, utterly bonkers. Like... How on earth did he do that? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like you know that moment where, and this is clearly why it was when you're just kind of too good for your two teammates, <laughs> like Haslam's teammates. Yeah. But without being too disrespectful, Kazuma Watanabe and Aslan Shah, Aslan Shah, who's ridden in Moto Two and scored points in there before, so he's no mug. Um, but Haslam's pace during qualifying was so good or so superior to his two teammates that the team decided on this strategy that Aslan Shah was going to miss out the entire race and Haslam was going to double up on his time on the bike and effectively make up for Shah's stints um, and do all of his stints <laughs> in the race. His first stint was 30 laps, um, which That's is uh, which is a MotoGP race and a half um, around around Suzuka. And, you know, it's just when you just... He, he, when you go through, it just almost doesn't bear thinking about that after the race had finished, he didn't even bother with the post-race press conference. He was taken straight from the podium to the medical center to be placed on a rehydrating drip. <laughs> Like I would love to have seen like what was the plan that he drew up on on Saturday or Sunday morning when he just go, okay guys, here's the plan. Aslan, you're on the bench. Aslam, do you want to feel? How do you feel about doubling up? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> like who whose idea was this? <laughs> That's all I want to know. But um, that is that is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in bike racing to a guy to do five, nearly five and a half hours out there in 77 and 77% of humidity in 35 degree heat. Like how is he like, I'm not even exaggerating here. It's like, how was he not in a hospital wing for a week after that? I, I do not understand that. Yeah. That is ridiculous. And, and the guys, the guys going to be racing British superbikes this weekend as well. I mean, the guy, and, 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 and that's one thing we haven't even mentioned. One month ago, Leon Haslam broke his back and suffered a concussion at Knock Hill in British Superbikes and had to miss that round. So he's he's been recently injured and he still does this, um, which is incredible. Speaking after the race, he said that he says I wasn't dizzy or fatigued in any way, but I was cramping up on the bike. Well, not not surprised, Leon. Um, every year I've done it, I get cramp when I stop. But when you're doing five stints and one back to back, it happens on the bike too. Even my stomach muscles and my throat were cramping up, and it was nice to get a drip and some medicine after the race. It wasn't the hottest race, and I've had harder individual stints before, but five of them is tough. We hadn't done any more than 15 lap runs until that point, and in the first session in the race, I did over 30. <laughs> I've never really suffered on the bike before, but the one-hour rest I got didn't feel like an hour with all the issues, the little issues I picked up. So he's clearly suffering from all these issues with doing such long stints. And by the time he's just, just sort of getting his equilibrium back and thinking, you know what, I'm feeling all right again, he's getting a tap on the shoulder to say, Leon, you need it again. <laughs> Whatever they're paying him on that team, it's not enough. I, 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 <laughs> more, give, give him Neymar money, please. Like, yeah. that, that is insane. <laughs> yeah, do, do you reckon Leon Haslam is going around to Kawasaki and Team Green and saying, hey, do you want to fancy giving those blokes Jonathan and Tom a call for next year? 
Um, so I've got some proper teammates that I can actually share the load with a bit. God, imagine that for an all-star team. team. Amazing, because Haslam said after the race that they were within, like he couldn't match the pace of the Yamahas at the front. The, the, the pace that Alex Lowe's in particular was setting, um, in Leon Haslam's own words, was impressive. He says at best we could have been within half a second of that per lap. Kind of have to think, maybe Ray and Sykes might be able to make that up. Maybe. It's a dream scenario. It's it's like a fantasy Suzuki Rata we're talking here, but I would love. They that should do it. They they would. They should friggin' do it. Have Kawasaki throw the house at it and bring like the legitimate break as well. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not exactly getting in the way of a world superbike round. Um, so yeah, I, I would just I would love to see that happen. Imagine that a, a Kawasaki eight-hour team of Haslam, Ray, and Sykes uh, taking on Vandermark, Lowe's, and Nakasuga on the Yamaha. Um, and you know the might that Honda obviously they're not going to enjoy having lost this three years running. They're going to want to fight back next year. Um, so yeah, I'd just love to see that. It, it's such a fun race this, and yeah, we'd love to see yeah, Kawasaki send their World Superbike boys there uh, next year. Um, but yeah, uh, hats off to Leon Haslam, the Iron Man of Suzuka, and he's rewarded in the end with second place um, for Kawasaki Team Green. Uh, the reason he got second in the end, he was running third with half hour to go, um, but. We mentioned earlier on how Honda's race went just pear-shaped from basically the beginning to the end um, across their different teams. Um, most notably, FCC TSR Honda, who were running second uh, with half an hour to go when Randy Depunier received a black and orange flag because his Honda was on fire. Um, if anything, as you do. yeah, as you do. And poor Randy Depunier as he pulled into the pits because he'd received a black and orange flag, but he couldn't actually see the fire because it was underneath him so he couldn't actually when he looked down he couldn't see the flames in you know underneath him on the bike because it wasn't exactly it wasn't Chevy Forest levels of heat mm. um but yeah Deponier comes <laughs> in and he's absolutely devastated he's like what's wrong and then the team mechanically leans over and points to him and says it's on fire mate and we've had to bring you in like, but, down there yeah down there but if any <laughs> if any picture just summed up Honda's as a great tower it was that because it almost literally went up in flames for them Oh dear, and I, I really rate the hard work that Dominique Agata and Josh Hook have put in as well. Like 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 Domi Agata's done did a fantastic job for them out there as well. Um put in a real Hook, shift. Hook having or... to step in at the last minute for Bradle as well, who missed the whole race because he had an ear infection and couldn't travel. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I've actually forgot for a second there that Bradle where was a late scratch. So um yeah, Josh Hook had to be flown in at the last minute to fill in basically. And yeah, they were they were running second, they were on for a really nice finish. And then, as I like to say on this show, nobody likes roasted nuts, and there is another fire. Um, it's so, like Honda; it's official. It's all on Mark Marquez. No pressure, kid, because once again, Honda have just completely cracked the basket, and it's it's a shame because again, they were running really well, and they had a very strong Suzuka. It's just a shame that uh, they they caught another technical gremlin right at the death there. Yeah, it is a real shame because, as I say, they were they were on target for second place with with Egerta de Punier uh, and Josh Huck. And um, yeah, de Punier, who um, earned notoriety uh, a year or two back on uh, on Twitter and on Instagram with his female fans for uh, a, a, an image of his burnt backside that appeared on social media. Um, I think his female fans have been getting quite excited then when they saw the flames licking around the bottom of his Honda. Um, oh no! Uh, oh, oh no! Yeah, let's follow follow Lauren Vickers quick. Um, because yeah, because uh, it, it looked pretty dicey for one moment um, for, for, for poor uh, for poor Randy Deponier, who, as I say, did a solid job for the team, and yeah, genuinely did not know what was going on. He saw the black and orange flag and came in, but he genuinely, as he was cruising down pit lane in the darkness, 
was sort of waving his hands at his mechanics, thinking, "Why am I coming in?" And then it wasn't until he collided with the bike that he realised exactly why um, he'd been coming, he'd been brought in. Um, disastrous outing as well for the full factory Honda squad, the Mushashi Heart Pro 634 bike, which. Uh, it was the bike that we saw Casey Stoner turn into an absolute scrap heap a few years ago. Um, oh. He was riding for the team. Um, no Casey Stoner this time. Jack Miller and Takaki Nakagami were brought in uh, alongside Takumi Takahashi. Um, and Nakagami crashed that one too, which left them to finish fourth. That's not half as bad, though, as the Yoshimura Suzuki team because they were one of the teams expected to really take the fight um, to Yamaha, not, not least because of the quality of their riders. Josh Brooks... Sylvain Gintoli both brought in alongside the experienced Takuya Suda, who is their MotoGP Suzuki Test rider. Mm. Yeah, you'd think there's no substitute for experience, Dre. Unfortunately, Takuya Suda decked it on lap two. <laughs> yeah, and once again proving that sometimes there is a substitute yeah. for experience. Um, yeah, it was a disaster from the start from for Suzuki, really. They, 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 were, they were, like, Tezuda accidentally very accurately put them in a hole right from the get-go. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it took a lot of work to, to get them back into play. But um, like, it was pretty heartbreaking when Ginters himself says on his Instagram page that they had the pace of the leaders yeah. um, in, in, in the way of clawing it back. Like, they were on a par with the Yamahas and probably would have given them a really good race um, if it weren't for Sasuda's early accident where they, were, they fell to pretty much stone dead last um so again an unbelievable job from from the team there to, to claw it back into the top 10 um but could have easily been a whole lot more to finish four laps down i mean to the, the yoshimura suzuki team will, will will definitely be disappointed with that yeah they will and without wishing to scapegoat the guy um because uh, it's you know it, it, these can happen these incidents can happen in an eight hour race because as we mentioned there is so much time for something to go wrong but i'm pretty sure it was suda that crashed a couple of years ago when Alex Lowe was on the bike and cost them a podium. Bex will know this because she's probably got his name um, or an image of him on her dartboard at home. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Suda on that Suzuki a couple of years ago who had a crash at the chicane and cost them a podium. He crashed at Spoon this time on lap two. Um, and yeah, you're right. Gintoli um, wasn't making that up because the team lost five laps um, in that first half hour when obviously the, not only the delay of the bike going down, the delay of getting it back to the pits, but then the delay of getting it fixed and getting it back out again. Um, all of this time, that Yamaha 21 is going around at full racing speed and just knocking laps off. Um, and they, they, by the time they were back out on track, they were five laps down. Uh, and they, um, or they'd lost five laps, should I say. And they finished four laps behind the leader at the end. They got one back. Uh, so yeah. they, got, they got one of them back over the course of the remainder of the race. Now, of course, there were safety cars that, that came into play that, that can always help with that. But then that's endurance racing. That would have happened anyway, wherever the Yoshimura Suzuki was in the race. So yeah, they, they have good reason to think that they could have ran the 21 Yamaha close uh, had that not happened um, for them. Uh, like I say, they dropped to 68th and last um, in that opening half hour and came back to finish 7th um, within incredible. within four laps, which is, which is an incredible result. Um, there are a number of other BSB regulars that are out there, um, not just Gintoli and Brooks. Um, Jason O'Halloran's out there too. His team, the Honda Dream RT Securi squad, finished in 10th place. Um, so um, a solid result for them, breaking the top 10. Um, Christian Eden was out there. Um, he, unfortunately, his team were not classified. They were the 60th of the 62 bikes still running at the finish, but they hadn't completed enough laps to be a classified finisher. Reason for that, Rafael De Rosa crashed twice in the opening hour um, on, no. the, uh, on the BMW. And this is Rafael De Rosa, of course, is a Altea BMW World Superbike rider. 
Um, unfortunately, it was him that let the side down uh, on this occasion. Dan Linfort was also out in Suzuka. Um, his team finished 27th. Um, now, don't blame Dan Linfort for that because he got the Arslan Shah treatment, Dre, because Ryuchi Nari and Yuki Takahashi, his two teammates, were deemed to have a faster pace, and poor Dan Linfort did not get out at all in the entire eight hours. <laughs> Think of it this way. He's like a backup goalkeeper. Yeah. You get you get all the paychecks for none of the work. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he didn't get on and save a penalty at the end, just to earn his... Yeah, he... Uh, Dan, Dan, Dan Linfoot came on. He, yeah, he set off the race. I hoped the crash would take some pressure off the team and that they put me out for a stint um, because, unfortunately, Kianari crashed early on and Linfoot was thinking, oh, well, since you're out the running, they might give me a shot here and put me on. Um, you know, like a, like a manager putting his son on for a testimonial at the end. Um, he says, um, yeah, the, he thought they put me out, but Kianari wasn't injured and they carried on with two riders. Uh, I was a little disappointed, but it was all a learning experience. Yeah, that phrase that they always use when they don't really want to tell you what they think of it. It was a learning experience. <laughs> it's, it's the PR. I, I, learned how, I learned how to endurance by sitting on the bench and not racing. Whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, 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 fueled by, yeah, I got through this on nothing but energy drinks. Um, rather than uh, actual outing on the bike. Um, so, yeah, Dan Linfoot perhaps won't be too uh, fond of his uh, Suzuki Rato experience, but he'll hope to be back next year. Um, now, this championship and this race kind of brings us on to a story that, and, a, and a discussion that, Dre, you had on Motorsport 101 uh, earlier this week when we spoke about the withdrawal of Toyota from the World Endurance Championship and that, the World Endurance Championship kind of suffers from the fact that its championship isn't quite seen as important as its signature race. Yeah. Um, being the Le Mans 24 Hours. And we're about to now mention the team that actually won the Endurance World Championship. Because I dare say, Dre, many people who watched this as a great hours had no idea that this was actually the season finale of the Endurance World Championship as, as a whole. Yeah, um, and I didn't know, I didn't know myself until I think it was the, the Saturday I found out. Oh wait, this is the this is actually the season finale. Yeah, Crap. Yeah, the, uh, the one and a half times points finale. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like somebody broke the scoreboard. So what do you mean we're giving out half points? So uh, like, did somebody tell Tom Sykes this? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 was weird. And again, it, like, I, I I guess it's a little bit better because it's like. You know, it, it feels like a finale, and hence it probably feels a bit more special, and hence it's probably a bit more justified in giving out a points bonus. Mm. But, um, yeesh. Um, yeah, so it's a bit sad that uh, the fact this was a this was basically a championship decider and uh, didn't really feel that way, per se. You, you wouldn't think it was a title no, I mean, finale. I, I, I totally understood at the time the reasoning for what they did, because they... For those that don't know, they changed the calendar around a few years ago. They, they, this used to be a year-on-year -year championship, you know, the 2014 championship, 2015 championship, etc. Um, with the Suzuka Ray Tower in the middle of the season, and then the Baldor, which takes place in September, um, which um, regularly is held at Paul Ricard. It had a couple of years at Magnicor while the circuit was being changed. Um, that would be the season finale, the 24-hour race in France. Um, sure. Now, they because of the Suzuka Ray Tower and the fact that it's probably the endurance championships most prestigious and most followed race they thought i know we'll make this the finale um and it then became a in the same way that football is it became the 2015 16 and 2016 17 world championship yeah. um now as i say at the time i could totally understand the reasoning for that because of how prestigious the race was and that more eyes would be on this race than any other but when you have so many teams that take this race so seriously from japan and you effectively have the championship contenders from the regular season that compete in Europe competing for 11th place. 
doesn't really make it look like much of a showdown, much of a finale, unfortunately. Um, no. So perhaps that, I, I don't know whether they'll rethink that because, like I say, this is the most watched race on the calendar. So they'll want the finale to be the most watched race. Um, but we, we kind of, the championship kind of got s- swept under the carpet because a Yamaha team actually won this championship, guys, believe it or not. But everyone else will be talking about the Yamaha that won the race. Um, being led by Lowe's, uh, Nakasuga, and Vandermark. But congratulations must go to Yamaha GMT94, um, who went into the final round one point ahead um, of the Suzuki Endurance Racing Team, the defending champions, or one point behind, should I say. Um, so a relief to all of you, the half points extra, or the extra 50% worth of points that they got did not make the difference. They would have won it anyway. Um, yeah. But it just en- en- emphasizes how Yamaha just took over Suzuka um, at the weekend with their, their Yamaha GMT-94 team, which is essentially their factory regular endurance world championship team uh, of um, Mike Demeglio, David Checker, and Nicolo Canapa, um, three names that you will have probably all heard before if you follow motorcycle racing regularly, yes. um, taking the world championship for them. So Michael uh, Mike Demeglio now has an endurance world championship to go with his 2008 125 world championship. Um, and, yes. and, and you could see, and, it, and again, it's a shame it gets swept under the carpet a little bit because you could see the pure joy and euphoria within that team. You know, they'd had they they'd done the full world championship thing. They'd had the T-shirts ready made um, that they all threw on straight away after the race is finished, and you know they were they were it was you know that for that for them was you know the culmination of a season's hard work. But it kind of it kind of gets swept under the carpet, Drake, because everyone's talking about Yamaha factory racing team of the number twenty one that won it. Exactly. Yeah, it just, it just shows you show that this is more of an exhibition event than a real title finale. They must, they must deserve their own moment, and they don't get it. Yeah, it's it's a bit sad because you know it's like the like in, the FIM and the endurance series is ba- is it's basically a niche of a niche at this point, and um, when you're ready in that sort of position, like Suzuka comes across, um, it comes across more of an exhibition event than a, than a real season finale, and that's kind of sad actually because as you say, like like the the guys that have been here from the very beginning and racing those races that nobody cares about, you know, they, they've, they, they've had all the hard work and, you know, this is meant to be their moment, the season finale at, at Suzuka, the, you know, the arguably the biggest bike race on two wheels as a, as a one-off event. And they, it's kind of been hijacked and that's a bit of sad, really. Mm, it is. And when you look at the outright result, um, the first of the regular endurance world championship teams to, make the finish um was the yart yamaha team that's yamaha austria um for those that are wondering what the a stands for in that um and they they brought in kota nazane who was a japanese regular rider uh, into their team they finished fifth um the motomap supply team um a suzuki team they also um are a relatively regular team they finished ninth but they also drafted in two japanese riders alongside josh waters um for that so and again it kind of it's almost separated from the rest of the championship in a way because even the teams that take it seriously tend to draft in riders with local knowledge um to try and help them do the best job they can um and so yeah it is a bit of a shame but congratulations to yamaha gmt94 who are the 2016-17 endurance world champions um the outright result at suzuka the 21 yamaha factory racing team won it with lowe's nakasuga and vandermark they finished two minutes nine seconds clear of team green kawasaki so just under a lap ahead um of haslam 
and that's about it, pretty much. Um, although his team, to give you the full team, Haslam, Watanabe, and Aslan Shah in second place. Uh, Aslan Shah actually gets to stand on the podium, uh, even though he didn't race in the entire eight hours. Um, Aslam should have just been propped up on their shoulders, quite frankly, for the job he did. Um, third place went to FCC TSR Honda with Egata, Hook, and Dupunier. Um, although, as we told you, they should really have been second until the fire took over with half an hour to go. Mushashi Hattie Heart Pro, the Honda 634 of Miller, Nakagami, and Takahashi in fourth. YART Yamaha Austria in fifth. Honda Dream Racing in sixth. Yoshimura Suzuki from last essentially to seventh. Um, the Satu Hati Honda Team Asia squad, um, which is run by Pratama, Zaidi, and Ratapong Willarot in eighth. Motomap Supply in ninth. And Honda Dream RT Securai, that was the team that featured O'Halloran in tenth place. Um, just to round up, Dre, on the Suzuki Rata, I mean, this race, in reference to previous years, probably wasn't the greatest race spectacle to watch um it didn't have the level of excitement perhaps that previous eight hours have had um but in all seriousness and I, this is i mean japan japan is a country is one i've always adored and wanted to visit um there are precious few more spectacular and heartwarming sights for me in motorsport without sounding too romantic than that sight of alex lowe's crossing the line in the race and the grandstand opposite the pitch just lit up in the different color glow sticks of the different factories just what a spectacular sight that was. Just Japanese motorsport at its spectacular best, I thought. Japan is a beautiful country. It's full of culture. And this was, like, it felt very Japanese. Beautiful spectacle. Seeing all the glow sticks. It's like D-Generation X had come back for the it night. Was, but yeah. um, it, it, it was it was a beautiful sight, a beautiful spectacle. Seeing it at the end, seeing the lap of honour by by the entire field and um, the lights on the bikes lighting up. It was a, it was a beautiful scene. And, you know, Suzuka is, I mean, it's, it, it's, it is probably a bit too dangerous for MotoGP at this point, but it is still a magnificent racetrack. One of my favourites in the world. And, the fact it can still pull off a show like this is very special indeed. It is, and it's, and as you say, it is a niche within a niche. Yeah, endurance racing in motorcycle racing, but that kind of site is the only the kind of site that motorcycle racing can provide, uh, endurance racing can provide. Um, because of course, the only night race we have at MotoGP is Qatar, and that's light from above rather than lights on the bikes that, that make that what it is. Um, it was a spectacular sight, and congratulations to Yamaha, both to their factory team for winning the race and for their endurance GMT 94 team for winning the championship. Um, we've got a bumper news um, section coming up. You can probably see why, because there wasn't an awful lot else going on last weekend, and we will cover that next. back with us on bike live and let's go through the news and unfortunately we have to begin with some sad news because just before we went on the air to record this show um motorcycle racing lost one of its all-time legends angel nieto um who um as some of you may know was uh, involved in a uh, quad biking accident a couple of weeks ago um where he was in contact with the car he was taken to hospital in abitha um, the accident he, he suffered on July 26th. Unfortunately, today, as we record this, August the 3rd, 2017, uh, Angel succumbed to his injuries at the age of 70. He is a rider who 
it's kind of difficult for us to Dre to kind of put this into words for two reasons. One that it's happened just as we were going to record this, and also because his his spectacular career took place before either of us uh, arrived on this earth. Um, but in sheer weight of numbers, uh, Angel Nieto stands quite rightly as one of the greatest riders in the history of Grand Prix racing. Absolutely. If, if a 13-time world champion, I mean, although you would never call it 13, he would call it 12 plus 1 because the man was so superstitious regarding unlucky 13. But, um, oh gosh, um, what, what a hammer blow this is. I mean, it's it's not even like he's died of natural causes. It was just a freak accident. And again, like he was brought out of an induced coma and he, he sees his vital signs deteriorated. And it's just, it's tragic. It's 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 very tragic. And a, a, a real shame because I think I mean obviously as Sudderby says he was before our time so it's always going to be a little bit difficult to find the right words to, 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 to sum this up and describe it as a bunch of 20 somethings but I'll say this is that well, I think we're going to look at Angel Nieto as the Spanish godfather of bike racing now like when when we look at guys now in Spain which has become a real bike racing superpower probably the, the, the strongest biking country on the planet it's almost now. their natural national sport now i'd argue it is i i think i think it's overtaken football now i really do i think they're they're the quality of the riders they're bringing into play because there's a new there's a new name every year pretty much now where you know we've had a super we've had two super talents in lorenzo and marquez pedrosa obviously as well and in the lesser classes people like you know, like joe like joanne mir coming up through the system alex rins maverick vinales you name it, like half We've the now got Marcos the, Ramirez as well. Marcos Ramirez as well, like half half of the, the the true aliens we talk about in the context of MotoGP in the last decade have come from Spain, and they have become a real superpower. And, and you can go back to Angel Nieto flying the fly, people like Alex Crivier down the road, and and just other like just seeing Spain grow and rise as a real biking giant and you can put it all back to Angel to start it off and you know it, he was an inspiration for the next generation of bike riders and for that he he will truly be you know remembered as a a true legend of bike racing and a real pioneer for for an entire you know national culture you could argue now he was and he was a rider who in his time did something that you don't ever really see anymore and that he was a rider who pretty much made his career out of racing on the lightweight in the lightweight classes you know he never yeah. never raced never competed in the 500 cc class which at the time was the premier class in grand prix racing he made his career and won his 12 plus one world titles in the 50 cc 80 cc 125 cc classes um you know that was where he made his his career and that's where he won um all of those titles and you know only and this is this is a measure of how successful he was. Only Giacomo Agostini um, with 122 and Valentino Rossi with 115 have won more Grand Prix than than Angel Nieto did. Nieto won 90 Grand Prix uh, 90. in his career um, across those classes, which is an incredible incredible win rate. And and yeah, it's kind of again a measure of of motorcycle racing. And it's one thing I've always enjoyed and, and loved about motorcycle racing in that it treats its lower classes. He doesn't really treat them or look at them in that in that way. It doesn't look at them as lower classes. It treats them as, no. as Grand Prix World Championships in their own right. I mean, I remember someone saying to me last 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 autumn when Mark Marquez won his title and he had the shirt saying "Give me five. People I had someone come up to me and said, "Well, why has he got five on his shirt? He's only won three MotoGP titles." And I had to sort of <laughs> explain to him that he's won a Moto Two title and a One Two Five title. And he was so sort of saying, 
well, they, they don't count. And I'm like, no, but they do. Because they are, they, are not, they are not lower classes. They are lightweight versions of the premier class, if you see what I mean. And, yeah, they are. And they, they, are they are treated they are as world-class competition yeah. in their own right. And that's the, that's, what, that's the environment that Grand Prix racing is now in, in, in motorcycle racing. It is three Grand Prix world-class level championships um, that deserve to be treated in their own right. And, and Hankel Nieto, as I say, made his name. Um, in those lightweight classes and, and won 12 plus 1 titles um, in those classes, and as I say, is rightly held. You know, if, if there was a Mount Rushmore of motorcycle racing, he would be on it. Um, and he'd have the likes of Rossi, Agostini, um, Mike Halewood alongside him. You know, he is one of the all-time greats, and it is it is a tragic shame that we have lost him um, in these circumstances. Angel Nieto, who lost his life uh, this week at the age of 70. Uh, right, now let's talk world superbikes um and let's talk about a man who's been in the wilderness really for a lot of this year um for, for various reasons davide giuliano now we flagged this up last week um that giuliano was testing with the rebel honda team at the lausitz ring andre we now found out that he's going to be racing with them uh, later this month a move that's not gone down well with everybody no, it's down to to Christian uh, Iden Chagran. Mm. Um, a, a tweet uh, from him yesterday regarding this, and um, the soul came out a little bit here. And I quote: "I guess that season-long injury was only applicable to BSB then." Hashtag Italian Dave. Italian Dave. <laughs> Italian Dave. Um, that is the most British, like thinly veiled passive-aggressive insult I have ever seen. Um, it's 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 unbelievable um just, just yeah <laughs> yeah it's i mean i i remember stuart higgs the um the supremo essentially the burning of bsb if you like um who um when this news first broke that he was possibly going to test with red bull honda um tweeted something uh, along the lines of um i'll have to get the lawyers on it um, so I, I'm, I'm only sort of surmising that there must have been some sort of agreement for this contract with Taika BMW to be broken that he, he wanted out of the team because he was out injured and wouldn't be riding again this year. There must have been some sort of agreement in that that enabled him to break the contract and for it to all be um, you know, terminated in that sense, which then doesn't make Giuliano look that good when he suddenly resurfaces in World Superbikes on a Honda. Um, now... Whether you believe Giuliano has handled himself with much class in all of this is is almost a separate argument at the moment, Dre. But given mm. given the fact that he's going to be back on the World Superbikes in two weeks, do you really think Giuliano cares? No, like the bank manager still calls him sir. So um, <clears throat> listen, like I, I get it. I get I get why people in BSB are going to be a bit salty regarding this because he was a big pull for the series to bring in a legitimate top tier world superbike rider into the class to see where he would stack up and in has been fantastic in his own right this year probably going to make the showdown um and give give the title a real run um but yeah, christian Eden, who was his teammate for all of one round exactly and again like again that was a guy that you know i'm guessing that Eden would probably want to learn from or you know at least watch and try and grow with as a team and yeah basically he's been stabbed in the neck by davide by basically put breaking off his contract claiming he needed time to recover from what would be a season end ending injury he shows up in testing about three months later so it's 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 almost like he gave the team the okie dokie like he didn't want to race in britain anymore and he's like oh yeah i can go back to being a continental europe guy by 
joining while well, do like only one race a month the schedule's lighter you know it's yeah. it's, it's, all, it's all it's all coming up millhouse again for davide giuliano so you know it's a good seat it's a good it's a good job but one has to wonder if the initial statement they released was a little bit on the bse side mm. uh given the actions of davide since yeah and whatever we say about his the way he's conducted himself this year and um, how his time with Ducati ended last year. If you're Red Bull Honda, who've obviously got to try and find a regular replacement for, for the, the late Nicky Hayden, I guess, given what's out there, is Giuliano probably worth the punt? Probably. I mean, there's. I don't think there's any... There's very many free agents or people that have had a job that they could get mid-season that would be better right now. I mean, Davide was a, a a top four level world superbike rider he was a decent rider on a good team in world he's a proven he's a, he's a proven good finisher in there a guy that can get on the podium so of the guys who are available who are they really going to get that was better so you know i think it's a good high for honda i mean i don't i think they probably got the number one biking free agent on the board right now so yeah, I, 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 from a business standpoint, from where Honda's sitting, I think that was an excellent, shrewd bit of business. Hmm, yeah, it is. And Giuliano, yeah, what's going to be fascinating to me is to see how Giuliano measures up against Stefan Bradl. Um, obviously, it's Bradl's home round, the, the next round, at the Lausitz Ring in Germany. Um, not many more rounds that we're going to see there, um, given the, the news surrounding that circuit in recent weeks, that it's effectively going to become a test circuit and testing only. Um, from 2019 onwards, so we're not going to see many more BSP rounds around there. Um, but it's Bradle's home round, and he will not want to be beaten by a essentially a new teammate um, in the future. Um, so, yeah, I'm just looking through Stuart Higgs' Twitter uh, as we um, as we talk, and um, I'm just going back to June when the, the rumours first surfaced that Giuliano was looking to finish the season in BSB, and Stuart Higgs replied to this tweet from MCM by basically saying, Recupero Miracoloso. Which I'm guessing is Italian, <laughs> which I think we can all establish is Italian for miraculous recovery. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, Stuart Higgs even throwing the shade. Um, Davide oh, Giuliano's geez. way. He's not endeared himself to BSB in that brief sp- uh, spell he had um, on the shores, but I guess I don't think he will care um, if he manages not to uh, rekindle his <laughs> reputation and re- re- re-establish himself in the World Championship. Um, now, back to the MotoGP paddock, and um, as I say, we will preview the Czech Grand Prix that is coming up this weekend before we go on this week's edition of Bike Live. Um, but one thing we do know, Dre, is that in the coming years, in fact, the year after next, MotoGP is going to be visiting a new country, or a country it hasn't visited since 1982. MotoGP is heading to Northern Europe, and it's heading to Finland. Welcome to the Kimi Ring. No, sadly, we're not racing on Kimi Raikkonen's devoid personality. There's not a it's, corner named Bois anywhere. Yeah, and um, no, like, it, 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 it's not a very charismatic circuit. It's, it's named after the river. It's not actually named after Kimi Raikkonen. Sorry. Uh, but it's a very nice-looking place. It's a, it's a cool-looking track. And, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I mean, I'm... There's always going to be a level of excitement over over a new track on the calendar, and uh, yeah, I've, like Finland is motorsport mad. It's I think it's a good it's a good market for a Grand Prix like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Yeah, and unlike the circuit of wheels, this one is actually under construction uh, at the moment. Um, it was it was sort of initially scheduled to be on the calendar for next year. It got pushed back for 2019, and that's you know now that they know it's going to happen for 19, they've now announced it. 
Um, and it's a five-year deal, so, you know, the MotoGP Finnish Grand Prix will be taking place through to 2023, um, which is great news. And great news for, as you say, it's a, it's a market that MotoGP doesn't have a, um, a footprint at the moment. It's, it will be the, the only MotoGP race in Northern Europe, um, certainly in that north anyway, um, yeah. it, it, at the Kimi Ring in Finland. And as you say, it is a country that is steeped in motorsport. It is, for such a small country, it doesn't have managed to produce a lot of successful competitors on two wheels or four. Um, obviously, on two wheels, the most recent one will be Mika Kallio, runner-up in the Moto2 Championship a few years ago, and Nikki Tuli, who had a couple of podiums last year um, yep. and, and won this year in World Supersport. Um, and, of course, their, their main success in four wheels would be in rallying and, of course, in Formula 1 with the likes of, of Raikkonen and Hakkinen. Um, and Bottas more recently uh, in Formula One, um, so I think this is a good one because we've seen we've seen circuits join calendars on two wheels and four, MotoGP and in World Superbikes in recent years, and not see the circuits and the grandstands full. Qatar, I'm looking at you. Um, but <laughs> this is I don't think this is a country or a circuit that's going to have that problem. No, like I said, Finland is a motorsport mad country. They love their rally and they love their Formula One. They're they they're, they're they're in a bright spot with with two of the four um, top F one seats being Finnish based right now with with Kimi and Val, um, and particularly Val doing a fantastic job right now this season. Um, and also nice guy. Champion. Yeah, exactly. It could, you know, you know, right in the hunt for the world championship, and very nice guy, proper team player. We like that round here, <laughs> apparently. Listen to most, but one for more on that. But um, yeah, exactly. I mean, again, they, they have they have a lot going for them in terms of a motorsporting country right now. They've got a lot of momentum right now. We've again, like I said, two elite level cars being filled by Finnish drivers right now. Um, of course, their rally game is strong. So, you know, bringing, bringing the two-wheel side over as well is only going to enhance that further. So I, I think Finland could be a smash hit where that's concerned. I'm looking forward. Again, I said, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And I'm looking forward to seeing the attendance to turn out. Because, hey, it can't be any worse than Qatar, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Which, um, yeah, two men and a camel turn up to it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the circuit's going to hold 100,000 people, uh, the Kimi Ring. Um, and, yeah, the, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. As I say, it is a country that just lives and breathes motorsport. For a country that only has, what, sort of 5 million people in it, Dre? I think that's around yeah, the size much. of it. Um, so, yeah, for, for such a small country, they just love their motorsport and just never fail to produce people who are good at it. Um, so um, they, they currently have a rider in the Moto3 class, Patrick Pulkinen, who um, you know, tends to be seen fairly close to the back at the moment but he's only 16 um so we'll follow his progress over the next couple of years and see if he will be on the grid for that first ever finish grand prix uh, in 2019 um the issue that it creates though while we're excited about this dre or there are issues it creates um because the likelihood is with thailand set to come onto the calendar in, in future most likely 2019 um whether valentino rossi likes it or not um and MotoGP for many, many years has wanted a race in Indonesia, given that it is one of the most fanatical bike countries on the planet. Um, there's not enough room for everyone here, because at the moment we're looking at a 20 race calendar in 2019, which may to many people be seen as too much. Yeah, um, if you talk to a lot of people who are journalists like David Emmett, who go around from round to round, or you know, guys like Alex Briggs who works on teams, they'll be the first to tell you that it's a hard slog being a, a full-time MotoGP um, guy that follows the paddock round year to year from, you know, like mid to late March all the way through to November. It is, it's a slog. And 
any guy will tell you that 18, like, like from what I've been told, from what I've seen from people, 18 is already close to the breaking point. You're seeing, like, by the time you get to Valencia, many riders are nursing niggling injuries and they can't wait for the break after the test period immediately afterwards so they can... They can go home and rest more than anything else. We have the testing's already coming around really quickly again. I mean, it's 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 getting pretty close to it being an all-round year job, um, and that's hard. I mean, any F1 team will tell you the same deal. And that's a, that's got 21 races this season, and that's already pretty ridiculous. And they want 25 in, in the future. Um, thanks, Liberty. Um, but as I said, it, like, it is a hard slog. I mean, again, for these crew members, they're being away from their families for a long time, and it's a big commitment to be in a pile that traveling circus so to speak um so to add another two rounds basically force either more back-to-backs um or um you know again having to extend the calendar even further to make this work um it could cause some problems. I mean, it reminds me a lot of the NBA situation where there's, there's been a lot of complaints last season about road game back-to-backs and the risk of injury and, you know, bigger teams like Golden State and Cleveland resting their star players like LeBron James and Steph Curry and Trent Green, where they, 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 were, they were sitting them out of these big TV games and pissing off a lot of fans, but then realizing, well, wait, it's an 82-game season. We can afford to lose a game or two by resting our star players and keeping them healthy, which, you know, was, was caused a lot of conflict. It's, it's a similar deal here because if you extend the calendar to 20 rounds or and a guy gets hurt, which is more common than you think in, in, in the world of two-wheeled racing these days, it's going to be an even greater penalty. You, you could see more situations of riders having to rush back and ride hurt because the, the, losing two rounds might be too precious now. So... There's a lot of fallback consequences in the grand scheme of things of this. So I am not sure that going to 20 races is necessarily the right move, especially from from, an, from a human standpoint where, where that's concerned. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, those are my concerns that, you, that you've laid out there. The Where we fit these in is the main one. I mean, let's just take the calendar as it is now. If you There's two options. If you bring two races or add two races to the calendar, you have two options. You either extend the calendar... <laughs> or you condense 20 races into the time frame that we currently fit 18. Um, if you take the first option, you either start earlier, which means you do to MotoGP what you do to World Superbikes and start the season in February, which will probably mean Qatar would then become a day race rather than a night race, um, mm-hmm. which I don't think MotoGP ideally would want to do because they enjoy the spectacle of a night race kicking off the season. Um, or you extend the end of the season, which I think is tricky given that we already run into the beginning of November um, in, in MotoGP, and then they test at Valencia after that, and then we see a number of teams who do private tests after the final round. Um, so that's there's that option. The other option, as you mentioned, is back-to-backs. Now, geographically, that wouldn't be as big a problem because there are obvious ones. You can obviously team up Thailand with Malaysia. That's the country geographically closest to it on the calendar at the moment, the host of race. Um, so you can easily double that up and have Thailand and Malaysia as a back-to-back and then Japan and Australia as a back-to-back. And you you solve one problem in a sense that you don't have the three-way back-to-back that we currently have um, on the calendar at the end of the season. You have two double-headers at the end of the season. And Finland, you could probably back-to-back that up with one of Assen, Saxon Ring, uh, Bruno perhaps, most likely Saxon Ring, and they'd probably have it at the end of the first half of the season. Um, but as you mentioned that puts a premium on rider injuries. And some people would look at this, perhaps just 
glance at it and say, well, Formula One do back-to-backs. Formula One has 20 races, so why can't MotoGP? And there are a number of key differences. One, as Dre mentioned, injuries. Injuries are much more common in motorcycle racing as they are in car racing for obvious reasons. Absolutely. Um, and as Dre mentions, a lot of riders often ride with injuries. Um, and this is effectively going to convince riders to ride with injuries more often because they don't want to miss rounds. And that can lead to further injuries, which can lead to them missing more rounds, um, which, which is a problem. And it can lead to championships getting decided through injuries, which is not what we want. Um, so that's a big problem, and yeah, I just it, I think it just creates it creates so many issues. This because I just don't think there is enough time in the year to extend the season um, beyond either the beginning of March or the end of middle of November. Because take MotoGP as it is at the moment, they test in February and then into March they have the test the official test in MotoGP, which are at Sepang, uh, Phillip Island, and Qatar. If you extend the start of the season, which means that you start in February, that means to fit the three preseason testing, you're probably going to have to start testing sometime in January. Um, Yikes. Which, which I just don't think is feasible. Um, again, you just don't leave the teams and the personnel enough time to actually take a break from it all. Um, and as I say, if you extend the end of the season, you're running into mid-November and you're finishing the season kind of when Formula 1 finishes it. Which again, yeah, you don't want that either. Again, which kind of limits the, the time you're going to have off. And also you run into run into November when Formula One tends to have a race just about every weekend because they're, they're just about rounding up their season. Um, so, so I think it's a big issue um, and something that MotoGP should look to avoid. In terms of if they were going to stick at 18 rate, this does put pressure on a number of other <laughs> venues currently on the calendar. And in particular, we're looking at Barcelona and Catalonia, which we discussed earlier in the season. The circuit's in pretty poor state at the moment, in particular the tarmac. Hasn't been relayed for over a decade. Neither has Jerez. That hasn't been relayed in 14 years now. Um, and now that there are circuits with contracts from 2019 onwards, that kind of does increase the spotlight and the pressure on Catalonia to get its house in order because there are now circuits lining up to take its spot. Sodding hard compound tyre Formula <laughs> 1 races. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And again, I'm glad that um, the, the, the news dropped last month that Catalonia is in the process of relaying its surface. So hopefully that'll be sorted out for next year's Grand Prix. We won't have tyre shredding and Rio guys running lap times at a four lap, four less seconds a lap slower than normal. Um, very F1-like, I suppose. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Spain um, as a as a nation has four Grand Prix on this calendar. They, they still have a fifth of the calendar to themselves. And two of those races have come under severe scrutiny in recent times because of their conditions. You know, Haref is in the middle of nowhere and it's a nice spot and all that. And it's a good, it's a good mecca for bike places. But this year's race was a mess in terms of com com competitive standpoint. It was not representative of the field we've had so far this season. Some would argue that's better, but the teams are not mm. going to like that. Um, so when you factor that in and factor also in the fact that, again, like I said, like that and Catalonia are two tracks that, you know, are, are in need of help and they are part of Dorna's flagship home country in Spain. Like, there's work to do where that's concerned, especially if you keep adding these new circuits that, you know, are designed to, you know, attract more fans and basically be exciting new additions. You automatically place less focus on the established places like Haref, like, like you said, has not had a renovation in the best part of two decades. Mm, it is, and, and the other key difference with, with Formula 1 as well is that um, MotoGP does not have the same restrictions on mid-season testing. Um, so again, that, that impacts on the, the time that these 
these team personnel and mechanics spend away from their families and you know just from having their, their own lives because you know once GP take Repsol Honda and we're going to mention this later on about the fact that they've had a decision to make on whether they bring a new chassis to Bruno this weekend they did a two day test at Bruno last month during their summer break so it wasn't a pure summer break because they did testing in it so you're getting more races in and yet teams are still going to try and unless it's banned by regulation teams are still going to try and test whenever they can um, so again, it just impacts on the, the time that these guys have to just live their own lives, if you like, um, which they can't do at the moment. Um, so it, it is, it is putting a lot of pressure. One of the circuit that, or one of the venue, uh, or country that comes under pressure from this is the United Kingdom, um, which has a contract at the moment for five years, but that contract is with the circuit of Wales. Um, now, of course we, oh. without, without dragging over that story again because we all know the circumstances of that at the moment it's pretty much dead in the water we're just waiting for the uh, last rights to be read um but <laughs> the the issue we have is if the circuit of wales contract finally does get ripped up there is effectively no contract with a circuit in the uk for a british grand prix and silverstone and donington are effectively going to be scurrying to the negotiating table to try and get their signature on a contract Exactly, but well, you know, it's not like Silverstone's lacking any major motorsport contracts all of a sudden. Oh, um, yeah, hey, it could be. Hey, hey Carmelo Espeleta, we've suddenly freed some money up. Yeah, yeah, it's like we're not, we're not, we're not losing eight million a year running the British Grand Prix in Formula One anymore. It's a pang tactic. Hey. Me, hey, like, I, I think that's a key negotiation tactic right there. It's like, tell them, listen, we don't have to run it. that. Po- yeah, we don't have to run that poxy F1 anymore. We can make it the home of British motorcycle racing until F1 negotiates a new deal with us. But until then, you know, <laughs> we, we can iron out a new deal to make it the flagship, you know, British racing championship here. It'd be interesting to see where it goes, because if you listen to Cal Crutchlow, he hopes it returns to Donington. Um, I can't agree with him, personally. I've been, I've been to both, and I, I, I take the point in that First of all, I don't think Silverstone's boring at all, um, which is what Cal Crutchlow has <laughs> labelled it as. Um, it produced... I mean, last year's race was fantastic. In particular, the battle we had for second was brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, which Cal was in the middle of. Um, but uh, Donington's by no means a bad circuit, but there are a number of issues regarding that circuit that people will take notice of. First of all, how many people it gets in. It gets more people in than Donington does because it's bigger. Um, the fact that it's bigger means that you don't necessarily, as a spectator, get to see as much as you would at Donington, um, which is regrettable. But um, unfortunately, because of the layout of Silverstone, that's just the way it is. Um, and without being too unkind to Donington, Silverstone is safer. Um, there is a yes. lot, there is a lot more space around there. You know, have you know, it's it's not exactly it's not like. Um, it's not like Donington Park is the only circuit that World Superbikes goes to, but MotoGP doesn't. <laughs> Take Laguna Seca, for instance. Um, so, um, yeah, I think Silverstone would be the ideal venue for MotoGP. And although I don't think there's, there is any danger of there not being a British Grand Prix, given that MotoGP is just about launching its British Talent Cup, it's not going to want to launch that with no British Grand Prix. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be ideal. Yeah, that wouldn't look very good at all. So um, I think it's fairly certain we'll get one, but... Um, they'll want to get one sorted out pretty quickly, given that there will be circuits being looked at to perhaps, perhaps drop off this calendar if they do want to keep it at 18 and not extend it. But we will see what happens with that uh, in future years. Um, one rider who will just be hoping he's still on the most GP gig, however many races we have on it, is Scott Redding. Um, and that is looking less and less likely at the moment, Dre. Jack Miller 
hasn't been confirmed officially at Pramac Ducati, but it's effectively a matter of when rather than if that gets announced. Um, which leaves Scott Redding with two options, really, and they appear to be Mark VDS or World Superbikes. No, like neither of them sound particularly appealing from where I'm sitting, if I'm being honest with you. Mark because VDS. Mark VDS yeah. is basically sit around and wait for Alex Marquez to move up. It's looking that way, isn't it? Um, and it looks like a stopgap for and a filler team for Alex Marquez, whereas World Superbikes is, well, World Superbikes. And, you know, like, it's it's like, like people don't really want to go over there if they can help it, unfortunately. It's just, it's just not what it was. And, like, if you listen to what Scott's had to say, he really doesn't want to go down. If he could, I don't want to say go down, but, but in, in that's Scott, how he, that's how he perceives yeah, it. I think exactly in, in the eyes of Scott, he clearly perceives that as a downgrade. So, if you're Scott and he's insisted he wants to be in Moto, he desperately wants to be in MotoGP. This is a downstep. There is no, there's no shade in that. It's just you know what he sees it as. He's he's been in MotoGP now for three years and. It's not really worked out to be hitting the potential um, that he, they, they were hoping for, and yeah, it's 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 like the only way he's down for Scott by the looks of it. Mm, yeah, it's 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 not like he's done enough this year to really, you know, tell anyone he's been hard done by. I think that if if Pramac Ducati swap him for Jack Miller, I think we'd all look at that and say, yeah, that sounds about right. That's that's an upgrade on what they currently have. Um, so unfortunately, this is kind of a. a, a predicament of Scott's own making, unfortunately, because of course he was outscored by Petrucci on equal machinery last year, which enabled Petrucci to get his name on the GP seventeen and Scott Reddings was on the sixteen and it's snowballed from there. As a result, Petrucci has comfortably outscored and outridden Scott Redding this year and Scott Redding is basically his confidence has just drained and drained and drained by by the looks of it uh, as this season has gone on. And and yeah, his his world superbike option and he has stated in, in the media that he has an option in Superbike uh, for next year, it would appear to be with the Barney Ducati team, the team that currently runs Chavi Forez in World Superbikes, which are looking to expand to two bikes um, for next year, which means that Reading would be uh, Chavi Forez's teammate. Um, now, Dorna will obviously look at that and say, do you know what? We've got enough competitive Brits in World Superbikes for our own liking, thanks. Um, so we yeah. don't really need another. Um, but equally, Scott Reading wants to the only circumstances that scott redding would want to move to world superbikes is if he's in a circumstance and in an environment where he can challenge for victories and he's probably not going to do that at barney no it's just like what satellite team wins anywhere let alone in world superbikes that we all know is basically a four bike championship at the highest level and javi forest has done a fantastic job with them but if you're Scott, do you really want to compete against like arguably the best satellite runner in the field? Like, I'm not sure I'd want that. That's that is a that's that's asking for for, for trouble basically. And then uh, Javi has done a great job in that satellite Ducati team, and that's going to be a tough teammate for for Scott to get used to. And yeah, it's it's you're going to be looking at maybe top sixes um, by the looks of it. You know, not much more than that. I think podiums might be a big ask even for that team um, at the moment. So, yeah, it's 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 not ideal. Yeah, I mean, the only the only sort of positive I could, I could see from taking that ride is maybe he can put himself just over Marco Melandri's shoulder and try and put a bit of pressure on him and line himself up for a factory ride um, in sort of 2019. But you know, neither of these are particularly palatable scenarios for Scott Redding. Whatever way he goes, it's a downgrade. 
Um, and unfortunately, that is um, that is the result of, of having two poor seasons, really, in a row um, in MotoGP for Scott. Um, and you could argue his 2015 was poor, with the exception of that podium um, that he got at Mizano. So, yeah, it's it's sadly looking like a tale of unfulfilled potential for Scott Redding in MotoGP, which which sounds sounds horrendous to say. Um, but outside of a couple of really sensational performances in the wet. That's kind of what it's been, unfortunately, um, for Scott uh, in MotoGP. Um, let's look ahead to this weekend then, and the we'll start with the action at Bruno. MotoGP is heading to Bruno. It is back, thank goodness for that. Um, MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3 at one of yes. the most most well attended venues on the calendar. Usually, up to two hundred thousand people pack themselves into Bruno on the many grass banks around the place um, to cheer the action on. Um, and we have another number of riders who are returning from injury. Um, most notably, in Moto3, but one rider also out through injury. And this one's a real shame, Dre, because the uh, Platinum Bay Real Estate team have been the real standout surprise success story of 2017 in Moto3. Darren Binder has played his part in that, but unfortunately, due to a broken thumb, he won't play his part in Bruneau. Yeah, as I was saying, man, it's like, yeah, surprise, surprise, kids, another training accident. And um, that is very unfortunate because Binder, again, he's not had maybe the results to show for it. But, like again, the, like, the pace he has shown has been fantastic at times. It really has. And, yeah, it's just, it's just it's a small shame that it's not... It's not really worked out how they would have liked it to so far. But again, it's a, it's a real shame because the Platinum Bay have, have basically been the lead KTM team all season long. And yeah, it's just they've lost the man and it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of interest, though, in his replacement this weekend because they've pretty much, outside of picking maybe Danny Kent up again, um, Moto3 rider for hire, um, they've pretty much picked as good a rider from the tier below as they can they've picked up dennis foggia um who um, for those who aren't familiar with the name he leads the moto 3 junior world championship at the moment um the cev he rides for the vr46 academy um in the cev moto 3 junior world championship so uh yeah valentino rossi and his team um will be keeping a very close eye on foggia's lap times because if he's he's on the ktm same as the Sky VR46 team. So, um, yeah, Nicola Bulliger and Andrea Migno, you better not get beaten by Foggia on the same bike this weekend because he'll be after your seat next year. Um, well, so, yeah, well, in the case of Foggia, just don't do too well. Yeah, basically. don't do too well, yeah. Yeah, but it's it pressure's off for him. It's, um, I mean, it's a circuit he's never been to, but he is, as I say, the current Moto3 Junior World Championship leader, and this is a championship that in recent years has produced the likes of Bulliger, Mia, Canet, and this year, um, Marcos Ramirez, his teammate, who was last year's CEV Junior World Championship runner-up. Um, so Foggy will be out there this weekend. Um, I'm going to guess, I haven't got the edge list in front of me, I'm going to guess he's not running the 46. That would be um, a step too far, I think, um, which would be... I mean, that's. I suspect it's still taken. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not taken in Moto Three, of course. Um, but um, we'll uh, we'll we'll have a check up on that and um, update you in a second. Um, one rider who will be out in Moto Three, unlike Darren Binder, and we're glad to see this guy back. Um, we can uh, pretty much get our predictions in now for who's going to be on pole position on Saturday, because Jorge Martinez back, Dre. Hey, the qualifying specialist himself. Yes. Um, God, he's been super strong in in terms of one lap pace, and again, him missing. The the Bruno oh, the Saxon ring round was 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 brutal for him, but great to have him back. And uh, again, like he just like he didn't lose too much out of, out of that fight at, at Saxon ring. So hopefully he'll be back with 
Hopefully a bit more speed and some great one lap pace. Yeah. Foggia, by the way, is running number 10 uh, this weekend. Um, if you've been watching free practice by the time this has gone out, you'll probably know that already. But yeah, Dennis Foggia is not running the 46, um, which, I believe he, which I believe he is in CEV. Um, I don't know whether that's just a, a prerequisite as the VR46 team that you run that number or not. But uh, yeah, Foggia is uh, is out there on number 10. Teammate to Darren, uh, or teammate to Marcus Ramirez, replacement for Binder. Um, this weekend. Um, Moto2 injury news, and um, we also welcome back Lorenzo Baldassari, um, who uh, understandably has taken quite a bit of time off since that horrendous accident that he had um, at Assen in the Moto2 qualifying session. Um, Dre, another guy we're glad to see back, because he's a genuine front-running contender under the right circumstances. Absolutely. Again, very situational guy, but again, very, very, you know, high level of upside with him. And again, great to have him back. Yeah, Baldessari back in Moto2 alongside Luca Marini. Um, but MotoGP is where we will put most of our focus here, Dre. Um, it has been, I think by most opinions, the one of the greatest MotoGP seasons so far. Um, and MotoGP always do such a great job with their, their own sort of production of, of building this up. Um, and I believe they've sort of used the tagline time is running out um, for this weekend's Grand Prix given that we're into the second half of the season now um, and they're doing a really great job of building up this four-way title fight Um, in terms of the four we're looking at will it be the two in blue that we're perhaps expecting most from this weekend? Probably Um, gosh uh, like funny enough Mark Marquez is Bookie's favourite going into this round which I think is a little bit generous because this is not one of his stronger rounds um it's been i think it's leaned more towards yamaha in recent times and that means on raw paper alone i think maverick vinales will be the guy to beat this weekend and that alone will make it a bit more interesting because he's not had the greatest run of form in recent races so uh this this could be an easy round for yamaha to bounce back after the break yeah i mean the um the weather forecast i'm looking at i'm gonna check another one because this is only the iphone weather forecast it currently has the forecast for sunday of rain um Uh oh don't know whether that's gonna happen again cal crutchlow will be crossing his fingers in that case yeah, no kidding. Like, Crutchlow will be like, rain, 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 rain. Yeah. yeah producing, producing another baby or something, I don't know. Yeah, um, he's got form here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he does. Uh, based he on last year it, where yeah. he won this race brilliantly. Yeah, the um, the, the both of the weather forecasts I've looked at do suggest it's going to be wet on Sunday, but we shall see. It's not going to be wet until then, um, but there is um, a genuine chance that Sunday we'll see some wet weather um, over the course of the day. Um, but... But yeah, it's if you're looking at the calendar as a whole, this is probably a circuit that is likely to favour the Yamaha over the Honda. Um, and Andre Davizioso has sort of labelled this as one of the tougher rounds of the season. But then again, Dre, if it does rain on Sunday, that may bring Davizioso and Ducati right back into it. Yeah, we all know what the deal with Ducati is when it's rain. When it, when, it, when it rains over there, the Ducatis come out and play. And I mean, who knows? I mean, Dovi was fast, but again, we saw a different side of Dovi in the wet Aston where he said, "Listen, I was thinking of the championship here." So you know, he held back instead of really gambling on that podium spot, or maybe even a win, if he was fully dedicated to to going on the charge for the win. I think he may have learned his lesson from last year seeing Valentino Rossi bin it um, when he was leading that race. So, again, I'm not sure if, if Dovi, in, in, the, in a slightly different scenario than last year, will be exactly the same. That's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on if it mm. does rain. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you've still got those odds for this weekend in front of you, Dre. 
Um, but um, if we want to, this 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 could be one that will make us sound really intelligent if this comes off on Sunday. But um, sure. if you want a nice each way bet or a nice sort of value bet for this weekend, look no further than the man who stunned us all at the Saxon ring, Jonas Folger. Um, because this is a man who has, if anyone has form around here, Jonas Folger has won in the wet in Moto3 at Bruno, and last year he won in the wet in Moto2 at Bruno. It's a good point. It's a very good point. It's like he's, he's got good each way value, but 18 to 1 for the win. That that could very, could very well be worth a cheeky bet because it's like right now. Probably one I, of his better at, circuits. Here's one of his better circuits. And yeah, the Yamahas have drifted out. Valentino Rossi at fours now. Maverick for the eyes, you can get at 9 to 2 for the weekend, which I think is an astonishingly high price given. Given this, again, again, like the bookies are obviously thinking it might be thinking rain because I'm seeing the wet pretenders that are pretty low priced Petrucci 18s, Volga 18s, Dovi actually quite high at 11s, but Crutchlow at 12 to 1. So, like, I think they're bracing themselves for a wet Sunday by the looks of it, and that alone makes it very interesting. Yeah, it is going to be fascinating to see uh, how that plays out. As I say, it's expected to be dry. Prior to that stage, by the time this goes out, you'll have probably found that out for yourselves, given that this goes out on the Saturday. Um, but yeah, MotoGP race taking place on the Sunday. There is a strong possibility that it will rain at Bruno. We haven't I don't think we had a wet race, have we? We've had a race that started wet and then become dry, and we've had the sort of mixed conditions of acid, but we haven't had a full wet race so far this year. So um, it'll almost be interesting to see how that plays out, and that really would not suit the Yamahas, given how poor that bike has gone. Uh, in wet conditions, most notably qualifying at the Saxon Ring, where both of their riders were nowhere uh, in those conditions. Um, Moto2, um, Franco Morbidelli resumes his uh, quest for the title, and given how the first half of the season ended, this guy is in a very, very strong position, and it's um, it's almost win now or bust for the likes of Thomas Lutie. Yeah, it's it's like we, I don't, I don't think we're quite in must win stage just yet, but we're getting pretty close to that. We I mean Thomas Lutie and Alex Marquez both crashing the Saxon was a dream scenario for Frankie Morbidelli, and he's now I think got one hand on the championship. It's going to be a, a big big ask for every for anybody else to get involved. I mean, if they give them a glimmer of hope, both of Lutie and Marquez were running were running well in in Bruno before their also Saxon before their crashes, so. They might take a little bit of confidence going in, 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 into Bruno this weekend, but it's ball game right now. But Frankie Morbidelli has been so good this season, and he can afford a second or a third right now and still have a, a comfortable amount of points in hand. So it's going to be up to the guys of Luti, Marquez, and Pacini to be doing the chasing right now, and that that's good. That could be difficult for him going forward. Yeah, we um, we talking about earlier on people with form around Bruno. Thomas Lucy is not one of those. He has won there before on a one two five back in in two thousand five, but well, he didn't even start this race last year when he um, had that bad accident in qualifying, which caused him to miss the race um, on the Sunday. Um, only ever a couple of podiums around Bruno in the Moto two class, um, career best in this circuit at this in this class of second place. Um, Moto three. Um, almost impossible to predict um but although this was famously the race where we got the first mega pack race in moto 3 the face where the race where famously alex rins celebrated a lap too early we had that 15 bike battle over the line um <laughs> won, won by alexis masbu um poor alex rins will never live that one down um nope. but um yeah this is a circuit another circuit that really uh, the saxon ring didn't lend itself to great moto 3 racing in the end we only had a three bike fight at the front but bruno given how fast and flowing it is is really one of those circuits that does lend itself to brilliant pack racing in moto 3 
It does, and you, you'll be guaranteed at least 10 bikes in that leading pack if it stays dry. And again, I think we could be due for a fantastic because Bruno always delivers in Moto3, and it's it's conducive to close racing because of how how open and flowing Bruno is as a racetrack. It's very easy just to tag along and get in the toe and be basically open the door to being contention. You'll you'll probably get 10, 15 bikes at least um, in that leading group jostling for position, and yeah, it will it will produce an ex, a, a a fantastic race. I'm dead certain of that. Mm, yeah, BSB is in action this weekend as well. They head to the fastest circuit on the calendar of Thruxton. And uh, while we're talking about betting odds, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they've already paid out on a shaky burn double, Dre. Um, shaky burn you can get right now at four to six to win race one. <laughs> He's odds on. Um, that kind of says it all, really. Josh Brooks is the only man even in the same postcode at seven to two. Um, yeah, it's it's looking good for shaky on this one, I think. You know, don't touch it unless you put it in an accumulator of some kind, like I did. But yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, yeah, like Shaky goes well here. He's the man in in transcendent form right now. He loves Thruxton as a circuit. I mean, he didn't quite double it up last year. I mean, we think a lot of us forgot that Michael Laverty um, won around there last year. But Thruxton, if you can handle your tires, you'll be very fast indeed. And I think Shaky Burn is probably more than worthy as an odds-on favourite, actually. Yeah, it also <laughs> helps if your bike's got a bit of top end, which that Ducati most certainly does. Oh, yes. Um, at the moment, that Panigale is supreme in a straight line. Um, so, yeah, Shaky Burn pretty much counts this himself as one of his strongest venues and strongest rounds on the calendar, which, given how strong he's been at many others, it's not really encouraging, particularly if you're Kawasaki, because this is not a venue that the uh, JG Speed Fit team or whichever factory Kawasaki team we've been talking about, whichever year we've been looking at, it's not really a circuit that's ever really suited the ZX-10R. Not really. And again, last year they struggled to handle their tyres. It's why Leon Haslam's had to run harder compounds in the past just to be able to stay with them. And yeah, again, you can see, you can see the prices on Fragonda Bittles, for example. Mossy's, Mossy's actually a bigger, a bigger, actually lower price than Haslam. Mossy's 10 to 1, though, which kind, which kind of says it all that they think the Kawasaki's going to be out there. And I don't mean that in no good way. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a struggle for him at the moment but um i don't i think that could be set to continue going into this round mm, yeah it is and they'll be keeping a close eye or many of us will be keeping a close eye on i think if one person really needs focusing on this weekend rate it's james ellison again because he's the guy that we're really looking at as closing that gap on the top six he's cut that gap from 51 points to 38 after the last round given that we're expecting one or two ahead of him to perhaps struggle this is another round where James Ellison's going to make big inroads. Exactly, and again, like we pr- what proved what was proven at Brands with Josh Brooks is that the Yamaha does have pace. And again, I don't know if that will quite hold out the same over here because Brooks is Brooks is going to be really keen on this round. He's always said that this track suits his very aggressive riding style. I'm not sure if it's going to be quite the same for Ellison, but this is a, this this could be another golden goal to get up. To get up the field if Kawasaki continues to struggle it could open podium spots up for Ellison and that's exactly the sort of level of result he needs to get into this showdown game absolutely it's, it is going to be fascinating this weekend I mean Leon Hanslem I'm amazed he's still not punch drunk from his exploits in Japan so um, the, fact mm. that he, the fact that he's out there at all this weekend is amazing to a certain extent so um, BSB this weekend at Ruxton, MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 at Bruno. Once things for certain, we won't be short of topics to discuss next week. 
uh, here on Bike Live um, for episode 25. Um, we've reached a quarter of a century come next week here on Bike Live. Uh, and we're closing in on the absolute century of Motorsport 101 because next week, Dre, we hit episode 98. And without wishing to put you uh, in a very difficult spot right now, I kind of have to ask you what you have planned for next week. Um, um, uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Um, yes, Formula, Formula, <laughs> One, Formula One has taken a lead from Fernando Alonso and is now sitting in deck chairs for the next month. Um, Formula yep. E's season is now over, and IndyCar, yep. IndyCar has a sort of what three week break before three it's, week break it's, until, um, until Pocono, three yeah, finale. There's like three races to go in IndyCar, right? Four, um. Pocono, Gateway, um, and, I'm, I'm miss- and Watkins Glen, and then Sonoma in October for the season finale. But yeah, they're on a three-week hiatus now until Pocono. So all of our four main series are out of action right now. Um, obviously, there'll be a little bit of news. We'll talk a little bit about the test. I think I think that's going to be in there with Robert Kubica and the incoming hype train regarding him. Um, and why I, t- I tend I tend to knock it off the rails, but um, yeah, a lot of that, and um, God knows what else. We're probably going to take a lot of viewer questions. If I'm being honest, it might be a giant mailbag edition, but uh, stay tuned for that. I'm sure we'll come up with something, maybe. Yeah, yeah well, that was a really great advert for yeah, the show. Me. Whatever you do, I'm sure I'm you'll. Very proud of myself on that one. Yeah, whatever, you, whatever you do, I'm sure you'll hit the bullseye. Certainly better than Andrew Benson did. Um, <laughs> earlier on today, what the hell was that? Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> this is this isn't that kind of this isn't that show. Uh, but yeah, episode ninety-eight of Motorsport One Hundred and One coming towards the end of next week. Um, and as I say, Dre, it, it's becoming more and more bonkers with every week. We we say this, we are closing in on the century. You're quite right, and gosh, we are only three weeks away now from episode 100 it'll be the week after i turn 25 we'll have 100 motorsport 101 episodes we people have asked me about this we do have something planned for episode 100 so stay tuned for that a little bit nearer the time but um yeah it is it's terrifying i i like it's 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 gone from a show i just i just did as a university project in my spare time as a final year project to, to avoid doing a ten thousand word dissertation um because i'm a lazy shit basically no, I, but I, I took the same route <laughs> my God. yeah yeah it's like it's like dre you can either do a media project or you can do a ten thousand word dis- give me the give me the project what give me the, the project dissertation's optional yes <laughs> i was like this is lit um so yeah like so to evolve from that and that was originally only gonna ever be a 10 episode run the fact that we are now weekly multiple people on the on the team so to speak and you know 100 episodes in pretty much as of the end of the month will be at 100 that is ridiculous um it's it's become a monster it's become sentient i i can no longer control it um may the good lord help us all <laughs> episode 98 coming next week as episode 99 will follow <laughs> that and episode 100 um if you want to mark it in your calendar you shouldn't need much help because it's only two weeks away um the week of monday august the 21st it will be at some point during that week um, so um, if you want all the information on each of our episodes from both Motorsport 101 and Bike Live, the places that you can head to for all of that info, facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter, it's at Motorsport underscore 101. Uh, on YouTube, where you can find our full interview right now with Carlos Munoz, youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Our website is motorsport101.net. 
Uh, and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both this show and Motorsport 101, it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. My thanks to Andre Harrison for joining this week. My thanks to all of you for listening. We will be back next week to look back on Thruxton BSB and the Czech Republic Grand Prix at Bruno, as well as a look ahead to the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring, which will follow the week after that. We look forward to your company next week. This episode of Bike Live is dedicated to the life of Angel Nieto. And for that reason, episode 24 will go down as episode 12 plus one. Bye-bye. Darren Binder has played his part in that, but unfortunately, due to a broken thumb, he won't play his part in Bruno. Yeah, very similar. Like, surprise, surprise, kids. Training accident. <laughs>